Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Back to the Bins. My name is Michael Bailey, and my name is Scott Gardner, and we are here once again to choose two random comic books from the comic book past. And that sentence came out a lot worse than I wanted it to, but you know what? I'm just going to push. We're going to push on. You know, sometimes you just got to forget the mistakes you make. And move on. I mean, that's my, been in my entire life, but you know, you know, so, you know such is how it works. So, <laughs> anyways, how you doing, Scott? Hey, I'm keen. How about you? <laughs> As you sit there, watch me drowning and laughing. Yes, sure. Going, maybe the shark will eat him. <laughs> <laughs> Here, catch this anvil. <laughs> Ass. <laughs> Though I did tell a. a tell one of the guys that works for me today that given what I've seen him eat when he dies they're going to cut him open it's going to be like that scene in Jaws <laughs> where they <laughs> cut it open and there's like and shit. yeah there's a license plate and a boot and <laughs> shit like that <laughs> oh, that's fucked up <laughs> ah so what do we got on the uh, on the plate for the old show today well we got we got some emails sweet knock those out uh, really quick all Not right. that we want to knock them out really quick. It's just some of these are really short. So. Yes. Yeah, this first one's super short. We got one from Darren Steves, who goes by... Uh, now, he's D... I know him as D-Man. This is over on the uh, the alternate reality Ustream. Or he calls it Upstream here, but I thought it was Ustream. But anyway, it's uh, just entitled Harvey Corman. And I think we mentioned Harvey Corman a while back in one of our other yeah. episodes about something or other. And he just writes to say, hey, Scott, he says, this is D-Man from the uh, alternate reality Ustream. He says, Harvey Corman died in 2008. Too soon, man. Too soon. He says, love the show. The montages are amazing. Stay cool. And that's from Darren Steves. I thought that was sad. I, I wasn't sure if Harvey Corman was alive anymore. Yeah. I thought he was probably dead by now. I, I remembered hearing about that, and it did make me sad, because he was really funny. I think he was a very under, underrated comedic actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was great on the, the Carol Burnett show. He was fucking hilarious in Blazing Saddles, uh, where he played Hedley Lamar. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was... Uh... What was sad is uh, wh- whatever we were talking about had to do with the, the Star Wars um, holiday special, and unfortunately, he was not funny in that. He was supposed to be. N- nobody but, was. Scott. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. It, it's it's not like Harvey Corman was the was the bad apple on that tree. I mean, though it's really funny that you mentioned that. Not that this has anything to do with back issues, but I watched a uh, I, I watched 
biography every once in a while on A&E. And they had one with B. Arthur. And they devoted like five minutes to her appearance on the Star Wars Christmas. Oh, cool. That's very cool. And how she had (laughs) no idea what Star Wars was. And she had no idea what she was doing, but she just went on and performed, and that was it. <laughs> so, I'm like, are you really devoting five minutes to that piece of crap special? Oh, it was cool, though. I mean, back in the day, that was cool. And it's still cool for the Boba Fett sequence yeah. and for the for the peak at, uh, at Kashyyyk, even though that's kind of silly. Yeah. Kind of... Kind of just as silly as Yoda meeting Chewbacca back in the day, but that's that's, oh. that's, that's an argument for another time. <laughs> um, we've got a, one from Jason Trenner. My thoughts on the latest Back to the Bins podcast is the subject. It says, well, I had no problem with it. It was interesting to learn about that issue of Brave and the Bold. I hope the Batman, the Brave and the Bold tie-in comics does something like that for an issue, given they can't use Superman stuff for some reason in the show. I'd love to see it in the show if they can get around whatever problems they have. I guess he's talking about the Metallo appearance. Yes. Mm-hmm. And everything. Frankly, the only thing on the show I don't like is you is when you review old non-Marvel or DC comics. I have no interest in them personally. Oh, and I'm not sure 93 is past whatever cutoff point you're using, but there's always Mark Wade's Return of Barry Allen story. I'd love to hear your opinion on that story, especially compared to Flash Rebirth. Keep reaching into the bins. Uh, 93 is well within our wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, we're like 96, 95, somewhere in that. I mean, it's basically sometimes you know it, it's kind of hard sometimes because i see like books from like 98 and i'm like well that's kind of what we but i'm like you know as long as it's like 90 that's still within my personal like comfort zone well i'm glad to hear you so, say that because i've been tempted to cheat a number of times lately myself because i've got so much stuff of you know a little bit be you know like pre 2000 but closer to 2000 than it is to like 95 that every once in a while creeps up that i'm like wow i'd love to do this but yeah you know because it's basically like this at this point all that stuff is over 10 years old right Mm -hmm. and to really and truly 2004 is like when it was the beginning of the end for me Right. And the couple years leading up to that weren't stellar, but the 90s were the last time that, that especially like 97, 98, 99, were the last time I was like excited to buy everything. Right. So, um, yeah, we, we, we'll probably amend that, but I would love to do an episode on Return of Barry Allen. Yeah, I've, I've I, never read it. I'd like to. I remember oh, when it. Uh, awesome. I have the issue. Where he shows up at the door, and I think that was the only issue from that storyline I actually own. But I, I, I haven't read the whole thing. But so I'd like to do that. I'd like to cover that. However, he said uh, comparing it to Flash Rebirths. Yeah, I have absolutely no interest to read that story. Well, actually, Shag and I need to do the last two parts now that it's finally finished. But Shag and I were doing uh, views from the Speed Force <laughs> as kind of a special side miniseries for views where we were covering it issue by issue so uh you know there, there's that if you want to go to uh, views from longbox.com and track that down in the uh back episode log so now why can't they use superman stuff and brave in the bold they've just they just don't uh he appeared in an episode in the episode sidekicks assemble oh cool they had a scene where the, it was they were on the justice league satellite 
uh, either that or the ho- I think it was the satellite. They actually had the full out Super Friends Hall of Justice in that episode. Oh, cool! Uh, but uh, they showed he- his back, and they showed Wonder Woman as well. Oh, but he didn't speak. He didn't speak, but he was standing there when Batman uh-huh. was talking to like the League. Because so. I wondered who would uh, who would voice him on uh, on Brave and the Bold. Well, they got Diedrich Bader to do Batman. So let's let's. Um... How about the guy that was the main character from Office Space? Since Diedrich Bader was in that, uh, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, have the, what, the yeah. dark-haired guy, the yeah, one, yeah, the one that looks like Kyle Rayner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he'd be perfect. I, I so, think he'd do a good job. So there you go, and then you can have a little reunion of them, and just 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 to have somebody like voice in, you know, Batman go, no, shit, no, dude, I believe you get your ass kicked for that. <laughs> so. All right, the next one is from Jose Rivera. He says, uh, it's entitled, Loved the Solo Episode. He says, hey guys, I wanted to comment on the episode Scott did where he did something different and went solo for an episode. Uh, Yes, it was a shorter episode, but filled to the brim with a lot of great moments and interesting thoughts on an unlikely team-up between Batman and Lois Lane. I've never read this issue, so when Scott mentioned that Batman doubled over when hit by Metallo's K-Ray, I naturally assumed the story would have a twist ending of Superman in the Batman outfit. See, that's kind of what I thought they were going for as well. I'm glad to see that didn't happen, as the comic would have been uh, would have just been an issue of DC Comics Presents or World's Finest as opposed to Brave and the Bold. Another interesting point raised in the episode was how Lois Lane was treated as an equal and not billed as Superman's girlfriend. Her involvement made the story somehow better in that it uh, really showed or really showed me how someone can take a character that's so riddled with cliche and do something interesting with them. Absolutely, I totally agree. That's that's what I liked about it. Scott may not like Nemesis, but I kind of do. The great thing about this era of DC was the spy characters like Nemesis, Human Target, and the Unknown Soldier. They were great spy characters who all happened to be masters of disguise. Hmm. I wonder why DC never thought to make a series out of those three together. That could uh, could have had some potential. Yeah, that, that could have had some potential. Mm-hmm. But I will say for a solo episode, Scott really got me interested in a comic I probably wouldn't have given a second thought to. Uh, if I looked at the cover. Honestly, keep changing up the format every now and then. This is the one podcast where I don't mind change as it's brought excellent results every time it's tried. Jose A. Rivera. Well, thank you, Jose. We uh, we definitely have some ideas for things we want to do to shake things up from time to time. I think the classic format of the show will always pretty much be intact, but uh, we, we agree. We like experimenting. We like playing around with the format. We like doing different things, so... Well, the one thing that's going to be constant is that you guys are never going to know what we're talking about. Exactly. We're never going to tell you, even in the when 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 Scott posts it to the Two True Freaks Lisbon page mm-hmm. or Lipson page, you know, we we never tell. So there's always going to be a surprise element. So I th- I think what we kind of talked about is like probably one week out of the month we're going to do just something really different, right? Similar concepts, but but different in format so right yeah so look for more stuff like you know when we did the hugo danner uh iron monroe thing and uh superman versus spider-man stuff like that because i loved doing those and i wanted Uh, more projects like that when i was just a guest star (laughs) (laughs) 
before it became apparent that Scott and I really had to freaking work together on just about as much podcasting as humanly there possible. There you go. <laughs> okay, we got another one. We got another email. This one from Charlie Niemeyer, and that's yeah, that's that's. I think I think he tells us in another email how to pronounce yes. it. Yes, so mm-hmm. is that how? It yes, was? that's right. Okay, so there you go. Charlie guessed and got it right. Says Michael and Scott. Just wanted to take a minute to congratulate you on this awesome podcast. Oh, you know, really don't have to do that. Now I'm embarrassed. Um, at a time when it costs $4 to basically purchase one part of a multi-part story that will soon be reprinted in a more cost-effective trade, it is nice to know that I'm not the only one who prefers the comics of old. I have been following the podcast since episode 36, and while I only have one of the issues you have reviewed so far, a Superman versus. Spider-Man reprint that does include those let's take a break to show you each character's origin pages, I have found myself entertained. Between this podcast and your Earth 2 JSA podcast, I have really started getting interested in old comics. Oh, excuse me, old school comics. Because there's no school like the old school. (laughs) Uh, You can bet that once I complete my current mission of completing my crisis to crisis run of of the Superman books, I will be looking forward to expand my current collection. That is, if I can sweep my sweet talk my wife into letting me <laughs> that's the Charlie. that's the rub yeah. right there there you go <laughs> that's the trick my friend if you if you get that master teach me the the technique because i'm still working on that one myself i i caught a little bit of flack for uh going out and spending some money today on more comics myself all right and our last one for today is from jason trenner again he says back again with more madness says, first I have to talk about the X-Force review. Ah, this is your solo episode. He says, when I got into X-Force, uh, when I got into X-Force was in the Fabian Nicieza. Is that how you pronounce that? Nicieza? I always pronounced it Nicieza. Nicieza? But I could be wrong. So. Uh, era, and that rocked. Of course, I'm a huge fan of his stuff. He is the only one who can write Rogue and Gambit together, and I give a crap about it. Anyone else, and they should keep those two as far apart as they can. You know, just a side tangent for a second. Am I the only person alive that liked when she and Magneto were together? I thought that was really cool. I thought, well, okay, one, I hate Gambit, so Mm. there you go. And two, yeah, that was a great match. That was just like it came out in left field, but it made mm-hmm. it made sense in a really bizarre way too. Yeah, so I thought it was cool. So yeah, yeah I, I liked that era. I, I really did. He continues. Of course, anyone that calls the '90s the Dark Age really needs to read the stuff you mentioned. Uh, Fabian's X Force run, the New Warriors, Superboy. Uh, hyperactive is one of my favorite stories. You see, is he talking about the hypertension storyline? I'm not sure. I'm when he said the first thing that came to my mind was that thing where they went into hyper time and all that. Is that what that, that was is? the hyper? That's the hypertension. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm going to take a little moment to spike the football for myself, which I I don't normally do. But <laughs> if you're talking about the hypertension storyline, if you're talking about the storyline that was the first thing to deal with hyper time. Uh, after uh, Hypertime was established. Mm-hmm. The second part of that is issue 61. My very first letter published in a comic is in that issue. Oh, cool. I probably have that. So, uh, and I and I, and I I had like six or seven published uh, over the uh, over the next 
two years after that. So <laughs> that's cool. In, um, in, in Superboy, you mean, or, or in, I, I, in comics? I had two in Superboy. I had two in Martian Manhunter. I had two in Superman. Uh, one in action, one in Superman, the Man of Steel, and Impulse number 50 <laughs> uh, had a letter from me, too. That's cool. Now, what did you write to Martian Manhunter about? That wasn't about the... Because uh, the one I always wanted to write in about was the story that involved him sort of in Man of Steel, where he had a, a, a part to play in when baby Kal-El came to Earth and all that. I thought that was really cool. I was literally writing as many emails as I could, so uh, okay. <laughs> I don't, and I haven't looked at those letter columns in a long time, so I, I really can't say, unfortunately. Well, he Sorry. goes on to mention uh, Peter David's first Hulk run, DeFalco's Fantastic Four. That was great stuff, DeFalco's Fantastic Four run. I liked that, and I don't hear enough good things said about it. Um, he also mentions the Thunderbolts, Joe Kelly's Deadpool, and Simon Furman's run on the U.S. Transformers comic. Seriously, Simon, is it Furman's? Is that right? Simon yeah. Furman's ideas have become so far-reaching in the tra- uh, in the Transformers, some have appeared in the Japanese animes. And all were ignored in the live-action movies. Seriously, the Transformers have had U.S. cartoons, animes in Japan, comic books in the U.K., comics in the U.S., and toys released in pretty much every corner of this planet. Yeah, I've been a fanboy of the Transformers pretty much uh, since the beginning. Just never asked my opinion on these live-action movies. Only one good thing came out of them, and that was the Transformers animated cartoon. Yeah, I've heard good things about that. I haven't seen any of it myself, though. Anyway, I liked that look at number one of X-Force. On the topic of trades, I honestly like getting them for old stuff. I got the Contest of Champions trade for $1.80, and stuff like uh, Master... Master Marvel Masterworks of the uh, Fantastic Four and X-Men. On the Uncanny Annual, the realm is called Pol- Polmachus? Polamachus? That must be where uh, what's-his-name lives, Archon. Yeah. This is, uh, of course, I have a feeling Marvel kind of forgot about it, and the fact that Archon rules it with Thundra as his bride, given, a Thundra, uh, given as Thundra appeared and got a DNA sample from the Hulk. She recently returned uh, to her timeline and has a daughter named Lyra. Seriously, the Hulk has two sons and a daughter now. You know, something I totally forgot to mention in that was uh-huh. uh, right at the beginning of JLA Avengers, Thunder or uh, Archon's world gets destroyed. Yeah, I was reading that. through that the other day. <laughs> I love Actually, it. last night. Because so. <laughs> he's an asshole. <laughs> On Lady Cop, words fail me. Though, uh, wasn't the current question something like that in Gotham Knights? Well, yeah, sort of, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah you could, Lady Cop totally could have been the new question. That would have been cool. Well, anyway, well, I hope uh, you enjoy my rant. That, that's if James Robinson had come up with the new yeah, question. Yeah, right. <laughs> and as Thomas DJ says, it's okay to love your comics, but not to love your comics. I thankfully have avoided going that far. <laughs> That's from Jason Treader. Thank you, Jason. That was very funny. Alrighty, we're uh, we're gonna we're gonna skip Hulk again for this episode because we have an exciting announcement coming up next episode involving the Hulk as we look at the last issue of the John Byrne as we kind of close the books on looking at, at at that era of the Hulk. But that doesn't mean 
that this episode is going to be Hulk-free. The book I have chosen today, uh, which is a Marvel book, is Iron Man number 247. It's from October 1989. So this is right around the time that, uh, uh, from that Avengers West Coast issue I did a couple episodes back. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of cool. And right there on the cover, which I'm not really happy with, even though it's a Bob Layton cover, you have Iron Man and Joe Fixit running at you. So, so this this is a uh, a gray era Hulk guest star appearance in Iron Man. The cover price on this is one dollar. It is called the story title is Mauled, but instead of M A U L E D, it's M A L L E D. For reasons that will become apparent as I get into the issue. This was written uh, and plotted by David Michelini, plotted and penciled by Bob Layton, and inks by Tim Zahn. I guess that's how you pronounce it. It's really weird. Howard how, Mackey. How is that spelled? D-Z-O-N. Oh, okay. For just and, a moment, I wondered if it was that Timothy Zahn that writes all those Star Wars books, but no, it's spelled differently. Why, well, so you could take another shot at the, uh, <laughs> at the Zahn trilogy? So... <laughs> So anyways, now I I have a really spotty run of Iron Man. Basically, most of my issues of Iron Man are not in the best of condition because I bought them out of a quarter bin, and that's probably the reason they were in the quarter bin. But every once in a while, I kind of get into the character because he's not my favorite, but he is, even though I hate the term in, in DC, he's part of Marvel's trinity of Cap, Iron Man, and Thor. So I, I see him as a very important part of the Marvel Universe. So every once in a while, I, I, I will pick up like a short run of his books and read it through. This issue is, is kind of weird. Uh, it, it's from a time when Tony Stark had been shot and paralyzed. Oh, yeah. So when he was Tony Stark with, uh, with his, with his uh, mullet, he would be in this... It's little... not a mullet! It yes, is. yes. <laughs> this one's a mullet. Um, <laughs> I just was needling it back. I, I know. I shit for that the other day. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> that's that's one of my pet peeves. Oh, I know, I know. But uh, but when he's in the Iron Man costume, he can walk, he can fly, he can do everything. And we open up on Iron Man standing on an icy crag near the North Magnetic Pole, and basically he has been called there by AIM and Hydra to meet in a neutral location and both the supreme hydra and the aim scientist supreme are there to contact iron man to basically ask him to help fight against uh the magia is it pronounced the magia or magia i think it's supposed to be magia but i always i'm gonna be honest i always thought that was fucking lame so i've always changed it mentally to mafia because that's really what it is and i don't know what the problem was just simply calling it the mafia I, i don't know if they thought they were being clever or maybe maybe it came up at a time when they were still under the rules of the com you know the uh post seduction of the innocent shit you know where they they couldn't say words like like horror and and use vampires and shit like that so maybe that had something to do with it i'm not really sure i i don't know i i, I think it's a 
it might be a play on something else. It's just it's just one of those things that I don't understand the uh, the reference to. Regardless of that, uh, the Magia is led by Madame Mask, and both Hydra and Aim are like, we're kind of sick of this bitch, and we really would like your help to take care of her. He goes, me? Help you? I'd rather stick my tongue in a fully operational meat grinder. Ouch. Pretty much proving that, um, that Tony Stark isn't really good with the one-liners. I don't think. Um, so the the two Supreme guys basically form an alliance after he leaves, uh, a very tenuous alliance. And Tony heads back to uh, the Stark Enterprises headquarters north of L.A., and he kind of sulks about being in the chair. He meets with the assistant district attorney, Linda Vincent, who is trying to get trying to get her case together against the woman that shot Tony Stark. And she flat out basically says, hey, let's go to dinner. And Tony, who's normally a horn dog, just tells her that if she wants to meet with him again, he can she can make an appointment with his secretary. And basically, Tony's feeling sorry for himself through most of the issue where he's Tony and not Iron Man. So Hydra and AIM hired Joe Fixit to help them and we get an amusing little scene where this makes absolutely no sense i'm sorry we're at the los angeles international airport joe fixit just gets off a plane what (laughs) (laughs) and somebody goes hey it's the hulk and he goes hey it's mr fix and he goes blast i'm not mr fix it anymore because this is right after all that fell apart for him and he kind of screws up the um the moving sidewalk for everybody and insults them. Meanwhile, at Odd Utech Research and Development, Abraham Zimmer makes a breakthrough in the developments that might affect Tony Stark's medical condition, and he goes, Good Lord! And then we cut away from that. So that's one of those little things that they threw in to kind of keep you coming back issue after issue. I have no idea where it leads. Uh, then we cut to Tony Stark talking to FBI agent Mallard demanding to know uh, why the FBI set Iron Man up at that warehouse when it put him against the Dreadbusters and Mallard's like you were in no position to make any demands you know you you barely got out of legal trouble with your armor wars and you know butt out of our operations so then at the Sage Hills Mall again story title was mauled the Hulk meets with the Hydra and AIM representatives, and they basically send him after Madame Mask. Meanwhile, Iron Man, uh, Iron Man has tracked down Madame Mask as well, and, but the Hulk beats him there, beats him to where her headquarters is, and he's tearing shit up all over the place, and grabs Madame Mask and escapes. Iron Man arrives, sees that shit has been teared up, grabs somebody, and he's like, "Hey." Uh, you know, the Hulk grabbed her and the Madam Mask has a homing circuit in her mask, so, you know, retrieval trucks are after her. And he goes, thanks, and throws the guy across the room. <laughs> so back at the mall, in the lower levels, by the way, uh, they have Madam... Uh, the AIM and the Hydra guys have Madam Mask in this machine that's going to wipe her memories. They pay the Hulk, who starts to leave when... The Dreadnoughts show up, and and one of the, and the Hulk sees one of them, and says, "Looks like something a three-year-old might," and then gets punched by them. 
Iron Man shows up, so a big fight breaks out between the Hulk and the Dreadnoughts. Iron Man joins into the fray, and we get a couple pages of Iron Man tearing it up with the AIM and the Hydra agents. Uh, the Hulk, meanwhile, has most of his clothes and all of his money burned up by the Dreadnoughts, so he starts tearing them a new one. He breaks into a piano shop and says, You jerks just bought yourselves some piano lessons. Here's the piano, and he smashes it into them. And here's the lesson, proving that David McElhinney really didn't have a good handle on Joe Fixin. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's nothing against McElhinney. So, meanwhile, Iron Man faces off against more of these Dreadbusters. He gets Madame Mask out of the machine that they have hooked her into. And he's like, we're going to have a long talk now that I've rescued you. She goes, really? I think not. So, suddenly, one of the Dreadnoughts gets through, starts fighting with Iron Man. The Hulk takes care of, basically, the rest of the Dreadnoughts. Iron Man finally is like enough of this shit destroys the machine that was attacking him only to see Madame Mask on the television screen with FBI agent Mallard and it basically the FBI has been working with the with Madame Mask and the Magia to destroy both AIM and Hydra and Iron Man's like that's illegal what are you guys doing and Mallard's like hey it works you know shut up the Magia helped uh, agreed to help keep other criminals in line so long as they turn uh, the FBI turns their heads in regards to their activities. And he's basically like, you know, go fly a kite, Iron Man. But Tony's got the last laugh because he's been secretly recording the entire conversation. So after we see a scene of the Hulk stealing a big and tall man uh, trench coat and hat... We cut to the President of the United States talking on the television about how renegade FBI agents have been uncovered, and he is there to assure the the people of the United States that he had no knowledge of any illegal activities. Uh, Tony Stark is watching this with his lawyer, and at the end of the issue, Tony uh, basically steps down as the head of Stark Enterprises. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't a bad issue. I, I really can't say if this was typical of Iron Man of the time, but given how... This is going to sound bad. Formulaic, I guess, is the best way to describe Marvel books of this era. You know, yeah. they were interesting, but they, they had a rhythm to them. They, they had kind of a formula that they all that each book had their own formula, but that book would f- follow that formula along for years sometimes. You know, it's like, you know, the X-Men, it was, let's keep starting up subplots and not resolving other subplots. <laughs> and, I, you know, not being that familiar with Iron Man, I don't know if this was a good era or not, but it was an entertaining issue. I just don't think David Michelini got what made the Joe Fixit Hulk awesome. See, I, I've got this era of... I've got a pretty solid run of Iron Man from... Oh, gosh, I'm not even sure where it starts. Right, right after issue 100, pretty much right through the end of the first volume. So you and time slide? Uh, yeah, I think so. Wow. And... Uh, 
you know, th- this is an okay era, but it's coming off of an era that was really great. And it slowly started to lose some of that greatness over time. It was, it was kind of a slow descent. You know, it wasn't like overnight it went from great to crap. But it, it went into sort of a slow slide downhill. And part of it, at least for me, that, that kind of made it that way was when he adopted the, the new costume, the one that he's got in this issue here. I never really cared for that because it was coming off of the, um, the Silver Centurion one that I thought not only looked better, but that was one of his more sophisticated armors. And it, it was almost like he took a step backwards with this particular one here. But also there was the story of him being crippled because he was shot by... Oh, I can't remember what her name was now, but she was like this crazy bitch that was like some girl that... It was either an ex-girlfriend or a girl that had wanted to be his girlfriend and he kind of blew her off because he knew that she was kind of not right in the head or something like that. And she shoots him and then he was he was crippled. But the weird thing was, was that happened... Um, just a few issues before this, it was like 243, I think. And then within like an issue or two after this issue you just talked about, then he got the, the miracle. It was, it was very similar to when Batman got crippled in that three part story in, what was that? It was like, I think it was detective 600 or was that Batman 600? It was that three part Sam Ham story. Yeah, you know I know. Oh, yeah, about? I know exactly what you're. Yeah, the uh, blind justice. Yeah, and they put like a microchip in him and all that to help his. They did the same thing with Iron Man. Basically, was they they end up coming up with some sort of mechanical fix to his problem, basically. But it happens so fast within like just a couple of issues that it kind of took all the the drama out of it. I mean, he really didn't spend very much time in the wheelchair at all. I mean, they really could have milked that storyline for a lot longer, but it's it's like they squandered the opportunity by having it happen and then resolve in, I mean, it's I'm pretty sure it's less than six months, which is really fast in comic book time, you know? But, uh, but yeah, it, it was an interesting era. It just, it wasn't as great as the era that would precede it. And then you know, down the line, it, it got into some really wacky stuff. You know, the second Armor Wars is not long after this, and that's a pretty good story. But then after that, it's real spotty. You've got stuff that's really good, like the Dragon Seed saga that was pretty good, but then not long after that, you get into, um, you know, the, the just the weirder stuff, and then the art yeah. begins to degenerate and stuff like that, and, you know, as it slowly approaches the end of its run, so... But yeah, not not exactly a typical example of Iron Man at the time, but not you know not too far off either. Well, I, I mainly grabbed it because it had the Hulk on the cover. Because <laughs> there's another there's an issue of the Hulk from around this time that had Iron Man guest star, that had a kind of a similar cover to it. So maybe at some point I'll drag that out. But you know, it's just it was fun. I mean, I, I'd like to read more of this, but then again, I've found. This is going to sound really weird. I think that reading as many current books as I used to read kind of threw off my... 
my ability to read through an older book like this in with a certain sensibility. Right. The more I read older comics over the newer comics, the more I'm slipping back into how it was eight years ago when I was pouring through back issues like crazy and could read a lot of stuff. For a while there, it seemed like when I would read an older comic, it would take me a long time to get through it, and it seemed wordy and all that. But now that I'm reading more of that and getting back into that zone, it's really awesome because I can read just about anything and find at least something good to say about it, even though I thought the writing was a little off in this issue. Well, let me recommend to you a truly great Hulk Iron Man story, which was was a three-issue arc that ran between Iron Man 131 through 133. That's awesome, if you can get your hands on it. And it shouldn't be terribly expensive. That is a really good story. And it's one of the few Hulk stories I ever read where, you know, the, the, the hero that he goes up against, Very, it reminded me an awful lot of uh, the, the one-shot Batman versus the Incredible Hulk. Because in that one... Um, Bruce Wayne, you know, Batman's alter ego, feels sorry for Bruce um, yeah. Banner and tries to help him, you know, and, and actually hires him and puts him to work trying to help him find a cure for his condition. In this Iron Man story, a very similar thing happens where Iron Man takes great pity on Bruce Banner and decides, you know what, I'm Tony freaking Stark, I'm one of the smartest guys on the planet. I'm going to help this poor bastard. I'm going to cure him from being the Hulk. And it's a really, really good story because not only does it have that angle to it, but then it also has, you know, your, your, you know, what you came to a book like that for, it has a really good fight between the two of them too. So it's a, it's a really good story. I think that you would enjoy it if you like, uh, you know, I know you're a big Hulk fan, but also you, yes. know, if you have even the slightest bit of interest in Iron Man, then, you know, that's, that story does service to both characters very, very well. I'm a big fan of the iconic characters of both universes. And Iron Man is definitely one of the big guns mm-hmm. uh, of the Marvel Universe. I, I, you know, I may not agree with what Marvel is doing right now, but man, I've, I've read some of the Dennis O'Neill run where Rhodey was Iron Man, and it's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I agree with you. I agree with you. And uh, I, I think that Iron Man seldom looked better than he looked in this era that uh, that I'm recommending to with uh, with the Bob Layton art and everything. It's really yeah, that, that's what I was kind of disappointed in this issue is that I don't know if it's the guy inking Layton or that his second run just wasn't as good as his first run, but the, the armor design isn't bad. It's just the art doesn't seem as dynamic as when I read Demon in the Bottle. Mm-hmm. And that era, so well, that's a good many years later too. It's uh, well, it's over ten years later. So, but it's yeah. nothing against Bob Layton as an artist. Just to throw that out there, in case people are thinking I'm dogging <laughs> on Bob Layton, because I'm definitely not. <laughs> well, are we ready for what I brought to the table? Yes, I'm very excited. Well, there, yeah, you sound very excited. <laughs> Sorry, that came off a lot worse than I thought. Yeah, I'm excited. Get to it already. Well, well, anybody could do a better job than I just fucking did with that synopsis. So no, not a, <laughs> no, it was fine. Um, 
There's a bit of a story on mine, and I'll try to be brief about this. But you remember a few episodes back, I reviewed um, Amazing Spider-Man number 31 because I was very excited because I had just gotten that issue. Well, at the same place that I got that issue, before I, I found that comic in the little display case it was in, I was going through some issues they just had sitting around, you know, in their in their back issue bins. And I came across a comic that I've I've heard a lot of things about over the years, mostly bad, you know, mostly, you know, a lot of snickering and that sort of thing. But I, I was I suddenly realized I didn't have this particular issue, and so I picked it up and I thumbed through it and was absolutely horrified to find that here I pride myself on my collection of Jonah Hex comics that, uh, you know, I have every single Jonah Hex appearance, whether it's just like a one panel cameo or a full blown guest appearance or whatever. Yet here he was right smack in the middle of this book, Jonah Hex big as life. And this book was not in my collection. I was horrified. So, I was going to buy the issue, but I could not talk the lady down on the price of it. She wanted two bucks for it. And I was just like, I'm not paying $2 for this book after all the horrible things I'd heard about it. So I went on to eBay and after just a, a little bit of looking around and being patient, I finally scored not only the issue itself, but the entire mini series that the issue is a part of for a dollar. Wow. So I went ahead and I, I got it. And I just recently got around to finally reading it. And I'm going to sort of do half and half. I'm really just going to talk about the issue that I want to talk about. But it's hard to talk about the issue without talking about the series as a whole. So anyway, this is Armageddon, the Alien Agenda. Oh, God. Which, see, I knew you were going to say that. I got to be honest, dude, I kind of dug it. It wasn't great. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't Shakespeare or anything, but it was fun. It was fun in just a really silly old-fashioned comics kind of way. Basically, the this, this skinny with this. Now, it's been a hell of a long time since I've read Armageddon 2001, which is the series that this is spinning off from. So I actually mm-hmm. have a question right at the beginning. Okay. This, this story starts out at the conclusion of Armageddon 2001, where Monarch is going all apeshit crazy and everything, and he and Captain Adam get into a battle, and in the course of the battle, it looks like they've actually destroyed themselves. And it shows Superman and all the other heroes are standing around, and they're all weepy and teary-eyed and everything because something has happened. And it says... Oh, God, let me find it. Where? Okay. For today, they had lost three friends. And I'm like... All right, you got Monarch, who used to be Hawk. That's one. You got Captain Adam. That's the second. Who the hell is the third one? Dawn. Oh, is that who Dove. Dove? Okay, I wondered if that's who they were talking about. But I thought that she had died quite a while before two thousand uh, Armageddon nope. 2000. She died in Armageddon 2001, number two. Oh, Hank, all right. Hank Hall killed her. On his way to becoming monarch. Okay, see that I okay I could not remember that for some reason I thought that Armageddon two thousand one spun out of the fact that she died either in the end of the Hawk and Dove series or in between the Hawk and Dove you know the end of that series and Armageddon two thousand one. But like well, I I haven't read that series since it was brand new back in what ninety or ninety one. Ninety one. Yeah, I could not fucking. Remember. Well, well, the, the thing about that is that 
Hawk was never supposed to be Monarch in the first place. Right. It was supposed to be Captain Adam. Yeah. Exactly. So her dying was just, it it, it feels like the afterthought it kind of is. So So here's what I'm going to do. The issue I specifically want to talk about is number three. So I'm real quick. Here's the story so far. Number one starts out. Captain Adam is still alive. He got thrown back in time to dinosaur times. You know, there's the dinosaurs are roaming the earth. It's basically the dawn of time on, on earth. And he's hanging out there when he discovers that Monarch is actually still alive. So they're both trapped there. And in the course of their fight, they run across these alien dudes who have this evil plan that they're going to destroy our solar system in order to open a wormhole so that they can get back to wherever the hell they came from. That's basically the story. Um, Captain Adam, through the course of events, by taking these aliens out, he is now knocked on a new time journey where this time he's moving forward in time. So in issue two, he jumps forward to Roman Empire days and he he's in a fight with the guys there. And because of this alien bomb thingy that he's stuck with through the course of this series, he keeps time jumping. And Monarch is... is the aliens are sending Monarch through time as well to kind of pursue Captain Adam to stop him. It's kind of a wonky story, and yes. for the purposes of the of the uh, issue I'm going to to review, it's not really that important. Anyway, this issue starts out, and Captain Adam arrives in the desert, and he's still dressed in his garb from the Roman Empire days, so he looks kind of like a gladiator, basically. And he's almost trampled by this stampede of of cows and bulls and steers and stuff. And they actually do trample him down, but because he's Captain Adam, they you know they don't kill him or anything. And these cowboys find him, and when they find him, he's buck naked. All of a sudden, all of his clothes have disappeared. And I guess it's because he tried to power up to become Captain Adam to save himself, but because his powers are going a little bit wonky, it did save his life, but then as soon as the stampede was over, he reverted to human form, but now all his clothes are burned off. We get a brief interlude where the aliens, basically, Captain, uh, or excuse me, Monarch, rather, was put into suspended animation like millions of years ago, back in dinosaur times in the civilization where these aliens had set up a base on Earth. Over the course of all these years, they've formed a cult about Monarch, you know, his his suspended animated body, and the other aliens he was suspended with, where they basically worship him. So when he comes out of suspended animation, because an alarm went off saying, okay, Captain Adam's here, you need to wake up and deal with him, then the aliens are all freaking out and everything, because basically he's like a god walking among them that just woke up and it's kind of weird we cut to back to captain adam and his new friends his cowboy friends have given him clothes you know contemporary cowboy clothes he looks kind of cool he actually looks a little bit like the lone ranger and he he burns his symbol into the front of his uniform so he kind of looks like a cross between his regular captain adam self and the lone ranger so it's kind of a cool you know it's an interesting look and he goes out and he makes uh, formal introductions with the people who saved him. And they turn out to be DC Western characters. Like uh, we got Johnny Thunder. We've got um, Matt Savage, who used to be Scalp Hunter back in the day. And this actually 
kind of sort of created a little bit of a continuity problem in my head is that it shows here that Matt Savage, he's obviously much older than he was when he was Scalp Hunter. And he's on some sort of a, like a cattle drive with his friends and everything. And they're doing this to raise money to, I think they say they're buying a town or something like that. Yet, later in James Robinson's Starman series, it was established that Matt Savage became a sheriff and that he was the sheriff of Opal City. And I'm not sure that you can exactly match the two of those up. I, I don't know that that works. So they don't exactly contradict each other, but they don't seem like they'd be easy to reconcile either. But it was still interesting to see these uh, these Western characters in here. I always like these stories like this where you see all these kind of diverse characters all meet up, even if it's just coincidence or weird happenstance we get more stuff with the aliens which frankly is kind of boring i'm going to skip past that we get to where finally captain adam and his friends they go into town and while they're in town they go to the local bar and this was the best part of the whole issue this is really what i bought not only this issue but the whole series for they go into the bar and everybody who was anybody in dc's western comics is here you've got jonah hex you've got powwow smith you've got uh oh what is that guys he was the he was the red-headed indian kid i think his name was like flame hair or something they call him flame bird here but i don't think that was his name i think it was actually something like fire hair or flame hair or something like that because he, he was a red-headed indian which is kind of a strange thing you've got the tr- uh, trigger twins bat lash and of course, you know, you've got all these characters together and then you've got all these lowlife guys around and, you know, in typical Western tradition, a giant brawl breaks out and there's a beautiful uh, splash, you know, two page splash right in the dead center of the book. Beautifully, beautifully drawn by Alan Weiss, which was another reason I wanted to buy this particular issue is that Alan Weiss drew it. And it's just Captain Adam in his cowboy garb, and then all of these other iconic DC Western characters in this giant bar brawl. And it's just <laughs> great. It's it's such a great piece of art. It's just, you know, how often do you get to see this giant bar fight with guys like Jonah Hex and Powwow Smith standing, you know, side by side or back to back fighting together? I, th- I think it's great. You got bat lashes swinging from the chandelier and stuff. It's just really, really cool. And eventually, Monarch shows up, and then this is where the book gets really silly. They basically have an old-fashioned Western showdown in the middle of the street, except one of the guys is an alien dressed as a cowboy with a laser gun. And Captain Adam doesn't use a six-shooter. He uses his finger because he has those quantum powers, and that's how he shoots his thing out. Well, in the course of... That's what she said. (laughs) In the course of their fight, um, Monarch accidentally fires his laser gun thingy into the ground, and it sets up an earthquake that travels through the ground and connects with the San Andreas Fault, and turns out was the entire reason that there was that devastating earthquake in San Francisco back whatever the hell year this is supposed to be. And 1906. That, yeah, that's what I was thinking. It was right around that time. 
And that page is really nicely drawn by Weiss as well. It's just really nice shot, like standing up at the top of a hill in San Francisco and looking down toward like the, uh, like the, what do they call that? The, the wharf or whatever that is, the pier area and all that. And just all this devastation. You see buildings falling over and these giant fissures in the ground and people falling and running and screaming and all these fires and just a really cool looking page. Very nice art in this. And Captain Adam and Monarch stay locked in their battle until they fall into a fissure when again that alien bomb device thingy goes off and all of Captain Adam's western friends assume that he was actually blown up real good. They don't realize that you know he's made another quantum jump because of uh, the energy that was released. And as, a, as kind of a last gesture, because they fell down into the fissure when this happened, then it causes an, an underground oil find to, to come gushing up out of the ground and you know, all the townsfolks are like, we're rich, we're rich. But the ultimate irony is, is that the deal that they were trying to make hadn't gone through yet. So the Indians that still owned the town were like, you know, the, the, the white guys are all screaming, yeehaw, we're rich. And the Indians are like, what do you mean we, white man? So I thought it was great. <laughs> <laughs> was using that old joke is a really funny line. And he says, you know, we haven't sold you the town yet. So it's it's really funny. And last page is uh, Captain Adam wakes up again after yet another time jump. And this time he finds himself uh, just outside a Nazi concentration camp in World War II. And, you know, like I said, it's not the most sophisticated thing. It's not like it's, uh, you know, it's not like I walked away going, oh, this was awesome. But it was fun. It was just a lot of fun. It's It doesn't take itself too seriously and I got a kick out of all the talent that worked on this series because you had uh, Dan Jurgens did an issue. He did issue one. You had Mike Netzer did uh-huh. issue two, one of my favorites. You know, when, when and if we ever get around to our, you know, unsung heroes of comicdom episode, that's a name that's going to come up. You got Alan Weiss did the third uh, issue. That's another name that would come up. And then really the only issue I thought was kind of weak was, of course, the fourth issue. You know, the one that should be all important because it's the wrap-up of the story. I thought the resolution of the story was was pretty lame and kind of pointless and somewhat incomprehensible. And then I didn't think much of the art. See, that was that was kind of my problem with the, with the story as a whole. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be this... Um, this you know big sequel to Armageddon two thousand and one, and it just turned into a freaking mess. Right. So. Yeah, it, it was fun up until the fourth issue, and the problem with it is I think they were trying to spin it further. They got to the fourth one, and instead of wrapping the whole thing up, it ends very much in a, you know one of those old comic book standards of if you want to see more of this, you know, write in and let us know. And they left it very open ended, but it ended in such a way. That you were like, you know, I don't really give a shit, you know? I, I don't really care where this goes at this point. It was fun while it lasted, but I really wish you had just given me an ending rather than giving me a, you know, well, we can wrap this up if you want to see more of it. And I think that was probably the, the big problem with it. But also, I don't want to sound like a basher because I really, really like Dick Giordano as an inker. I think he's a fantastic inker, particularly on ba- on uh, Superman when he inks 
like when he inked Byrne on Superman or he inked somebody mm-hmm. like, uh, like Garcia Lopez or Adams or somebody like that. But as an artist, I've never been the biggest Giordano fan when he when he's just the, the penciler, you know, just the artist. And he was the artist on this particular one, and I think it's the weakest one art-wise for that reason. So don't mean to knock you, Dan, but uh, or Dick, rather, but... Uh, yeah, it just wasn't all that crazy about the, the art in that particular issue. But still, for a dollar, I got a kick out of it. I liked, I liked the second and third issues quite a lot. They were just fun. Yeah, for a dollar, you can't beat it. Yeah, I mean, really. exactly. I think I paid $4 for the thing total. So. Yeah, because yeah, they, they were originally a dollar a piece. So, yeah, I would not pay that much for them. <laughs> but it was fun. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the 2 True Freaks section of the comicforums.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Demonzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. No Line Radio presents... In the outer rim, there lies a forgotten world. Out of time and memory, under siege. And in need of heroes. None of us should have to live like this. Eight will answer the call. A boy and his droid. I am neither yours nor anyone else's. A smuggler and a Wookiee. I see him, Chewie. A mysterious hermit. I'm no amateur, Han Solo. A wizened warrior. Fie upon you, foul feathery fiend. A dangerous beauty. You're on the ground, we're sitting ducks. And a lepus carnivorous. I ain't no rodent. You will soon be nothing. Just one more corpse, twisting in the desert wind. No! So the hired gun didn't take my warning. Yeehaw! You will not. Have him beast. Journey back to a simpler era. The time of a new breed. An age of marvels. Our heroes. Our heroes have arrived. No Line Cinemas presents... Star Wars Marvels. The Starhopper Solution. Keep firing, Chewie, all of you. It's do or die, because here come the Cloud Riders. 
This is the fixer. Game. Simba. This is the voice. My eyes. And this, this is, is our promo. Welcome to The Fixer's Hideout. Every week we discuss news, comics, topics of interest, movies, TV, and the best podcasts of the week that we've all listened to. Well, wow, yeah, we do we all that? To, yes, we do all that. Wow. And we, we don't get paid. <laughs> and you couldn't okay. stop it before that? <laughs> <laughs> you could cut off his mic at least, Lord. Uh, Mr. I'm in control. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was still sharpening his witty Join us every week, twice a week, for The Fixer's Hideout. We could be reached at www.thefixer.com or on iTunes or on Comic Geek Speak message board or on Facebook. And we Twitter every once in a while. We have to get rid of people. This is the Fixer's Hideout, and this is our promo. My name is John Mayo, and I'm Bob Retall. What is the Weekly Comics Spotlight? Comics reviews from two fans with 65 years of combined comics reading experience who each get and read well over 100 different comics each month from Marvel, DC, and a wide variety of independent publishers. Reviews that highlight books that may not hit everyone's radar screen since most people don't buy so many different comics each month. Reviews with honest opinions. We enjoy comics but realize not every issue that we read is a solid gold masterpiece. All in about 30 minutes. So please check out the Weekly Comic Spotlight at www.comicbookpage.com slash podcast. This is Tim in Tokyo inviting you to join us every Monday for Deconstructing Comics Podcast. Whether you're developing your own comics creation skills or you're simply a lover of the comics medium, you'll enjoy our mix of interviews, reviews of comics from all genres, and discussions that explore all aspects of creating, publishing, and distributing comics. In addition to American comics, we cover books and creators from here in Japan and around the world. Listen at deconstructingcomics.com or find us on iTunes. This is Tim. Hope to see you soon at Deconstructing Comics. Hey, Obi-Wan, your lightsaber's showing. Kick his ass, Shag. Live long and proud. Suck it, Frodo. I'm sick of being a goddamn scarecrow. I'll give this podcast thing a try. Later. Two. Chew bubblegum and kick your ass. Wow, you've gone from very fine to near mint. What a man! Size matters not. To truefreaks.lipson.com.